Hi, and welcome back to the Forget the Wine podcast, Reclaiming the Book Club. Remember when book clubs were actually about books? Madeline and I were tired of the book club being portrayed as a thinly veiled ladies wine night in popular culture, so we decided to fight this bastardization ourselves. Join us as we examine and interpret modern novels. And okay, if you want to drink a glass of wine while you listen, we won't judge you. Well, we won't audibly judge you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our episode of Forget the Wine. I'm Madeline, and I'm coming to you again from Minnesota here with my friend Laura. Hello, hello. Yes, today we will be discussing You by Caroline Kepnes. It's really been kind of buzzy lately because it was adapted into a television show that aired on Lifetime and just came to Netflix starring Penn Badgley. So lots of people have been watching the show. We read the book and just wanted to talk a little bit about our thoughts about the story and its TV adaptation. Today is kind of a special episode where we'll be comparing the television show and the book and what pot elements, character elements, and storytelling there is there. So do you want to get us started with a synopsis, Laura? Yes, and I will start with a spoiler alert for the book and the show. There's some mysterious elements and thrilling elements. So if you haven't read the book or seen the show yet and don't want to be spoiled, then give this episode a pause and come back when you finished it. When a beautiful, aspiring writer strides into the East Village bookstore where Joe Goldberg works, he does what anyone would do. He Googles the name on her credit card. There's only one Guinevere Beck in New York City. She has a public Facebook account and tweets incessantly, telling Joe everything he needs to know. She is simply back to her friends. She went to Brown University. She lives on Bank Street, and she'll be at a bar in Brooklyn tonight. The perfect place for a chance meeting. As Joe invisibly and obsessively takes control of Beck's life, he orchestrates a series of events to ensure Beck finds herself in his waiting arms. Moving from stalker to boyfriend, Joe transforms himself into Beck's perfect man, all while quietly removing the obstacles that stand in their way, even if it means murder. And it does. (laughs) (laughs) So just a main points. How did you think that the book compared to the TV show? Yeah, well, I think one thing that really pulls me in immediately about the book was the second person narration. The whole novel is written from second person point of view, meaning that Joe, the main character, is addressing us, the reader. But in reality, he's addressing Beck, of course. But as the reader, we read everything as you. So he says things like, you blush, you are Charlotte's web, and I could love you. He's talking about Beck, but as the reader, we're totally in Joe's mind space. We're 100%, everything is from his perspective, speaking about Beck. The added you makes it even more creepy and enthralling because you're reading everything as if he's speaking directly to you. So I loved how Caroline Kepnes used this this writing method and this style. Um, So that was one thing that immediately pulled me in. What immediately pulled me into the show was... Uh, I mean, I think they did a overall like a really good job of adapting the book. So I already knew it as a suspenseful thing. I wanted I wanted to watch it to see how they put the book into imagery. And the first episode, just seeing how the bookstore setting and immediately when Joe starts stalking Beck on social media, I think the show did a really great job sort of capturing that social media obsession with all of the imagery they used on Twitter and Instagram and how Joe is immediately able to infiltrate her life so easily and see this persona that she's created through social media. I think that was probably a big hook for a lot of viewers because it's such a huge part of all of our everyday lives just to see this point of view as a stalker who is digging into someone's life which 
um, on, you know, a lesser aspect, all of us do our own kind of mini stalking at various points in our lives. Even if we don't spend a ton of time on social media, we've all done it. So I think that was one of probably the biggest pulls into the show. But what about you, Laura? Yeah, I think one thing that the show did that was really smart was to include a narration um, behind the scene. So we don't lose Joe's creepy stalker tone and he it's in second person as well on the tv mm-hmm. show the narration is addressing you even though we know that the you is back and caroline kepnes had a really good quote about why she chose to wrote write the book this way and she said that when she writes you know in this tone you see what they keep from others, how their internal monologue compares to their outward behavior. And I thought this was a really good point, just in terms of we're seeing everything that Joe actually says and does and how he presents himself to Beck, both in the show and in the book. But we also get like the strategy and the long game, and he's describing what he's doing, or if he pretends to be nice uh, to ingratiate himself to someone, he'll really say behind the scenes like, But actually, she looked so ugly in that dress. I can't believe she thought she could go out in that. Or we just see all the nastiness behind the facade. And that somehow makes him even creepier. And um, it does make for like a really delicious tone for this show or movie. It is uh, for this show or book. It is so fun to just kind of indulge in this dark tone that I thought was pretty unique Mm -hmm. to this book. You obviously don't read a whole lot of second person novels bright lights big city is what i can think of but that's obviously used to a different effect um this really shows kind of a threatening man stalking a woman and it just really pulls you in to feel almost implicated in the story yeah and it creates a really wonderful element of suspense because even though we're in joe's mind we have absolutely no idea what he's going to do next So speaking of the character of Joe, I thought we can compare his character in the novel to his character in the TV show, who is played by Penn Badgley. Badgley. Sorry if I say Bagley. I just (laughs) really want to call him Penn Bagley. Um, So in the show, I think we both noticed that he, Joe, comes across as a lot softer, a little bit more sympathetic. And one great element that we have in the novel is Caroline Katniss was able to create such great tension with Joe's actions versus his internal narration. And he uses a lot more violent descriptive language, which they did not really include in in the TV show. In, In the book, we went oscillated kind of between this beautiful, soft, romantic albeit stalker (laughs) language where he's saying all these really romantic things about Beck one second and the next second he's depicting really violent imagery like for example he brings a balloon to one of the other characters in the show Peach who is Beck's best friend and she ends up you know dismissing his balloon and making a big deal out of it and we hear Joe's internal monologue He says, you never sounded farther away from me, and I will take that balloon and stab the fuck out of it. And at the same time, I will take that balloon and tie it around Peach's neck because who the fuck can cunt out over a balloon? So there's just a lot more like psychopathic language, which gives us really insight into into his character. But we do not hear any of that, probably because of the censorship on Lifetime, but also because they had to create a character who we could spend a lot of time with as a viewer. But what what did you see in the about Joe's character, Laura? Yeah, I thought it was so funny. I was watching um, Instagram stories the other night, and I saw one from Millie Bobby Brown, the girl who plays Eleven on Stranger Things. Like, she's 14 or whatever. And she's watching the show You, and she's saying into the camera, like, I don't understand why everyone hates Joe. He just loves her. Like, he's doing all this out of love. <laughs> the this here is murder of several people, <laughs> stalking, breaking into her apartment, etc. But anyways, the point there is that I think if you were just watching the TV show, maybe you could see Joe as like an altruistic dude who is really just motivated by a crazy level of love. Like, I think the TV show is still absolutely written for him to be creepy, but because like a Hollywood actor, Penn Badgley, who's very good looking and charming, is playing him. Mm -hmm. 
he comes off as much more desirable than the character in the book. We're also stuck with inside Joe's head in the book for just these long stretches. And the way that he talks about Beck, um, especially when he sexualizes her, it's very much as an object and as this perfect little girl on a pedestal in the book. And it's very creepy and gross. I mean, I remember the first time I read this book, the first 30 pages were borderline shocking because it mm-hmm. felt so creepy and just like gave you the heebie-jeebies and you even felt guilty for reading it. But on the TV show, it's much sweeter. And they also added a subplot with a little kid next door named Paco, who's like a cute kid who Joe lends books to and helps out. Mm. That's totally invented, not from the book at all. Why do you think they added that plot? Part of it, I wondered, it was to add some stuffing to the show, which was 10 like hour-long episodes, which there's no way that the novel by itself could have filled that much material. On the other hand, it was definitely to make Joe's character redeemable in some way, because the neighbor kid is a, basically, his mother is like a crackhead. He, she's dating an abusive ex-cop and the kid is always hearing them fighting or having sex and he like sits outside the door with these sad little eyes and reads really advanced literature like the three musketeers and is able to talk to joe about it and i found this great quote from a vulture article talking about the first five episodes where the it says there's one plot that's hard to parse within the five episodes i've seen a subplot involving a neighbor kid named Paco, whom Joe feels compelled to rescue from his bad home life. Paco is all giant, dark, sad eyes, and in the five episodes I've seen, he exists mostly to illuminate a side of Joe that isn't abhorrent. It is mysterious to me why you would feel that it's a necessary piece of the narrative, although it may be part of the series' broader interest in dismantling romantic comedy tropes. Um, but to me, it just seemed no. like yeah. it was absolutely to make Joe's character more sympathetic so that the viewers who on Lifetime are primarily women would want to spend more time with Joe. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of this. I think the way that the book is written, it does subvert the creepy romantic comedy things that are played as charming. Um, you know, that could be a meet cute in a more comedic tone movie is girl comes into bookstore, boy is interested in her and takes her name from the credit card. Like, you know, that could mm-hmm. have in another world have been the beginning of You've Got Mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just explored in such a dark way here and um, taken to like the most extreme dark end. And I would have loved if the TV show did that with the Paco storyline. Like if at, in the end he ended up killing Paco too or something <laughs> oh like that. But yeah. um, that does not end up happening. It, it actually is the most cliched wrote expected ending with this little kid is that he comes in in a climactic moment and helps save the day. It's lame. Well... So in this TV show, Paco sees Beck at the climactic moment, but he chooses not to help her. Right. And I thought, at first when I was reading it, I was like, how are they going to end this? Are they going to be able to let viewers stomach this ending of Beck being murdered? And we'll talk about the ending more, but I thought that was almost even darker because Paco helps him cover up the murder of the horrible ex-boyfriend. Who he shoots. Yeah, Joe shoots. Yeah. Paco's mother's horribly abusive boyfriend and then it's just like it turns to me I feel like that was lifetime stamp on everything it would turn into this like sordid (laughs) like ridiculous subplot and with like the crack junkie mother who also goes through detox and Joe helps her and another reason why yay Joe is this like kind of knight in shining armor he cares about this like poor which by the way we don't meet Paco's mother until like almost the end of the series and it's only to be introduced to her like detox subline which I thought was pretty horrible because it's such a trope where you behind closed doors hear a woman being beaten who's also like a drug addict and and therefore like Joe is the only person who really cares about Paco and and cares about his well-being so I mean for me that had lifetime written all over it and yes it did make Joe's character more sympathetic to us as viewers but and maybe they needed to do that for the show in general and to end it the way that they did 
But um, but yeah, it was just like a really sordid, I thought kind of stupid. Over the top. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. In addition to Joe, I saw some pretty big character differences between the Beck in the novel and the Beck in the series. Yeah, I would agree. I think in the novel, Beck is more actually intellectual, actually a girl with a lot of depth, a girl with a lot of genuine friendships, and a girl who is not so easily tricked or fooled. Like, I think she catches on to Joe's game um, a little bit easier and sees some fraudulent tendencies in him. And she's also very manipulative of Joe in in the novel. Like, we see, like, she's using him for errands. She only comes in and, like, talks to him or interacts with with him when she needs something from him. But Joe can't really see that because he's, like, obsessed with her and doesn't even care how she's using him, probably. Blinded by love, if you will. And I saw Beck as a much more conniving, cunning character in the novel. And also, I thought it was interesting how they totally removed that part. Well, not 100%, but they removed this part of a scene in the TV show where Beck is sleeping with Benji, who is another character who he's kind of like a typical fuckboy, really wealthy, uh, douchebaggy kind of guy who Beck seems to use him for status mm-hmm. and he uses her for sex. Right. And in the novel, Joe views them through the front window having sex and it was very... Uh, masochistic. In the book, she calls him daddy and he spanks her. And we do hear about the red ladle spanking thing, which is related to her father, which is kind of messed up. We do hear about it a little bit in the TV show, but they're, they don't really do anything with it. They sort of brush over it. And I feel like if I were just watching the TV series, I would totally have missed it. So I feel like they sort of moralized Beck in the TV show and made her a lot more like the actual girl next door. We see certain scenes from her perspective, which adds some sympathy to her, whereas in the book, we don't see really anything from Beck's perspective until the very, very end where she starts to like reveal things to Joe that we didn't know that she knew. So I, I thought that they made her a little bit more of a, like a moral character, wholesome character, self-doubting character in the TV series, especially when it came to like her writing and her confidence. Whereas in the book, she seemed like, yeah, like you said, like a, a girl with a lot more gumption. And in the, sh- in the book, it felt less like she was actually in love with Joe and heartbroken when she kind of learns how manipulative he's been of her. Whereas in the show, you get the sense that she is truly, you know, wants to give it a go with Joe and and is taken um, aback when she learns that he's a murderer. Yeah, and there's this whole subplot in the TV show where she gets really jealous of his new girlfriend. Right. And sort of not, she sort of seduces him back a little bit. And that is absolutely, like, a lot of their relationship in the TV show is developed differently than in the book, like, in terms of the depth. And they actually did have a bit of a relationship in the TV show, which they absolutely did not in the novel. It's also different because in the book, we're hearing everything through Joe's voice. So Mm. we're getting Joe's perspective on Beck, and he's, like, a paranoid person, and um, he also admires Beck. So maybe Mm. it makes sense that she comes off as more cunning, more aware, more independent, more vindictive in the book, whereas we're kind of just seeing her as she is with her friends in the show. Yeah, that could absolutely be. And there was another subplot here which um, I thought added a lot to Beck's character that we did not see in the book with the professor. that Because that wasn't in the book, right? Not at all. Yeah, and so in the TV series, Beck ha- is a TA to this English professor who's an absolute terrible guy. And he basically comes on to her. She sort of leads him on because she needs the job to make her rent. And... 
it culminates in him coming on to her at, you know, getting drinks at a bar and she refuses him and he's like, you know, then don't be such a fucking slut. Basically in the TV show, he's like, stop looking like you want it. And it turns into this, for me, it kind of turned into this whole like Me Too movement subplot where she stands up to him in the end, he's trying to get rid of her and get rid of her position. And she is like, well, I'm going to tweet about you. So you better watch out because women have power now. Yeah, for me, this plotline really didn't work. I think whenever they deviated from the source material was when this show was the weakest. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt like padding for the episodes. And I think really this show is about Joe. Like it's Mm -hmm. so about, that's what's interesting about it is it's from the perspective of this stalker dude who, um, like what Caroline Kepnes kept bringing up in interviews is the interesting juxtaposition that he's violent and murderous, but he is really like a renaissance man in terms of like he loves love and he loves art and he thinks that Prince is a poet because he said, you know, because of the lyrics of it's been 13 hours and seven minutes since mm-hmm. I've seen you last, since you walked away from was, me. Was that Prince who yeah. wrote that? Oh, and. Nice. You know, he's obsessed with Hannah and her sisters and that soundtrack. Um, so that, I think, is like the most interesting part of this book is that juxtaposition within that character. I think that's something that we haven't seen before, at least not as our narrator or mm-hmm. a protagonist that's guiding us through the story. The stuff with Beck, like a young girl who gets hit on by her professor and yeah like that is something that we have seen a million times and it's not executed particularly well here so I was not interested yeah and I mean I think it it's it is an important theme like I'm that's that shit still happens of course people use especially men use positions of power to manipulate but yeah, I agree. It wasn't. It this wasn't is not crafted. Yeah, <laughs> this is not the series to like seriously tackle and address something. This is a campy, over the top, kooky series. Yeah. Um, this is not something that I think its viewers or writers are taking particularly seriously. Do you? Uh, no. I mean, I think I would love to talk after we go through a few of the themes. I would love to discuss what our takeaways were. But um, a few more of these like lifetime signature touches that I noticed in the show, I thought we could talk about before we move on to to some of the themes. For example, all of the little extra added suspense pieces with the urine Joe left behind in Peach's house. Oh no, like the cops found it. The private detective that Peach's family hires. Oh no, what is he going to find out when he speaks to Joe? And ooh, he saw Joe sneaking into Beck's apartment. The suspicious cop who doesn't believe it's Joe's car. Like there were all of these like really fucking campy little added twists where they would cut to those detectives and cut to the urine and stuff and quickly and Joe would be like oh shit and then literally nothing ever came of it but there's a season two oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah I mean that oh. worked for me I will say <laughs> like the tone of the show and the book I think that that is exactly perfect for it. Like, there should be that obvious, like, dun-dun-dun music <laughs> playing behind it. And that is exactly what I want out of this show. Like, that was perfect. I guess for me, the reason that I didn't like those things was because I thought that... And, and I guess that it comes back to the, like, visual versus written yeah. um, mediums. Because Caroline Kepnes did such an amazing job creating so much tension and suspense just through Joe's voice. I agree. So that's why... So that's why... I, um, maybe I'm a purist when it comes to the book. I'm, jo- I'm joking, you guys, just to make clear. But um, what about the um, parties in the bookshop? There's at one point, there's a party that is thrown for like one of Peach's literary agent friends. And then at another point, there's a surprise birthday for Beck gone awry where people are like dressed as literary characters. Um, I loved those because I'm going to use this word so many times. They were just delicious to look at. Like, it's this old bookstore in 
New York City. It's like dimly lit, beautiful. Everybody dressed up as literary characters. Like, what more can I ask for? Like, yes, keep that running on a loop inside my head. Do I think it made any sense with the story? Sure did it. Did it add anything? No, it was just Netflix like reaching their 10 episode minimum. But I loved looking at it. I think the um, settings were so well developed. Particularly that bookshop, that bookshop, and what I love about that bookshop um, in the book and the TV series is that there's this sense of dread whenever you're there because you always know that there's this glass cage in the basement <laughs> where um, special edition books are kept, and Joe has like murdered, you know, however many people in there by the end of the book. So I love the tension of that whenever there's people partying and drinking champagne upstairs that we know there's like this glass dungeon of books downstairs. So as much time as we can spend in that bookstore, I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree that they did a nice job recreating like the visual imagery, I think, in the show really was well done. I, I definitely agree. And even like the therapist's office, mm-hmm. even down to that detail, like with his little art pieces and his chairs and stuff. Um, and I just double checked and this bookshop from the TV show is a real bookstore in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. And it's called Logos Bookstore. So fun fact, if you guys ever want to go on like a tour of <laughs> the locations from you in NYC. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but, um, but I probably will go to that bookstore someday because I'm obsessed with bookstores well, send too. me a picture from the cage. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I didn't love those scenes because I was more fascinated by the suspense, like narrative driven stuff in the TV show and how they were adapting it. And when they added in these things like the parties, it made Joe look pathetic. And he is pathetic. I, I do. Yes, he is pathetic in many ways. But I feel like in the book, he is so much scarier he is so much more he has so much more potency Mm. to be like a frightening figure and uh, disturbing and in the tv show it was just like i don't know i liked that i thought that that was important one of the big points of tension in the book and the reason why joe is scary and becomes murderous is a feeling of inadequacy. And a lot of that is driven from not being um, traditionally attractive in the book. Like I think he says, you know, he'll never look like Benji. He'll never have money like Benji. Um, He was always like a weird little kid who liked books. Mm -hmm. So I think so much of his possessiveness of girls, of his extreme jealousy that leads him to murder people is based on him not feeling good enough and him feeling like he could never get a girl like Beck without stalking her and arranging these creepy chance meetings. So I thought it was important for us to see him as being pathetic and lame. That's a good point. Especially because he's being played by like a hot dude. Yeah, and maybe the reason that that I'm like, as you're saying that, I, yeah, I think you make an excellent point. Maybe the reason those scenes fell so flat for me is because Penn Badgley, Badgley, (laughs) not Bagley, because Penn Badgley fits so well in those scenes, just as like the person he is, Uh, like, it just didn't make sense to me. Maybe that's why those scenes fell so flat, because it was kind of pathetic, but at the same time, he looks at home in those settings. I feel like if it had been more to the true to the character of Joe in the book, it would have been even more like unsettling to see. Yeah, because some of my favorite scenes in the book in particular, and I don't think that they adapted these for the show, is... Beck comes over to Joe's apartment for the first time, and it's dirty. There are dirty dishes in the sink. There are, uh, you know, he just has a mattress on the floor without a bed. Like, there are these little things that he is so humiliated by. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only is he hiding, like, the collection of women's teeth that he has murdered in his ceiling or whatever, but 
he's hiding that he's not really who he presents himself to be. He's like mm-hmm. this dude with like no money who eats canned soup. I think that's what it was. There's yeah. like a can of cream of mushroom on the on the counter that he was really humiliated by. Yeah, and, and trips over typewriters and yep, yeah, hoards things. And, yeah. Those were some of my favorite moments in the book where you just see his like deep insecurity with who he is because he's such a calculated guy who is presenting himself a certain way and when that falls away it, it like that's when he lashes out and gets dangerous yeah so in, speaking of lashing out what about the depiction of violence in the book as related to the tv series i remember being more struck in the book by how closely linked the sex scenes and scenes of violence were the first 30 pages were extremely disturbing because of the violence that's inherent in everything Joe describes. Not only actual acts of violence, but the way he sexualizes Beck and is leering outside of her window. Um, Obviously, they can't adapt all of that for television and air it on Lifetime. Um, They aired him, like, jerking off to her through the window. Well, they did. (laughs) But it was, you know, a lifetime version of that. Yeah, and Um, then he helps a lady down the steps with her bag as uh, he, like, comes in his pants. (laughs) They do. It's true. Um, So I think they push it about as far as they get. But, yeah, the murders happen off screen. I guess I think that that was a good decision. But there is some blood, like, when he hits Benji. So that's the biggest thing that I noticed. With Benji's death, it was pretty graphic. Yeah. Like, he, like, convulses. His face after he's dead as a corpse is disgusting. It's, like, ghastly and blue. And I think there they were going in for a little bit of the shock value, but it was okay to show a violent death of Benji because he was, like, a privileged white dude who had it coming. Not really, but, like, a little bit. People might have been much more accepting of his violent death through peanut allergy. Um, And also they show the death of um, Candace's, the guy that she cheats on Joe with. Mm -hmm. Um, They show him pushing that guy off a ledge and like falling to his death. Benji's death we see on screen. Candace's whatever guy on the side we see die on screen. But Peach and Beck we don't see. They're, They're off screen deaths. And... In the novel, Peach's death is really graphic and disturbing. It's, like, bloody, and I think there's depictions of, like, sounds that she makes, and it's pretty awful. Um, Whereas in the novel, there's a little bit of a plot change. Peach realizes that Joe is a stalker, and she she has a gun, and there's a struggle. And it's one of those, I'm sure there's a term for this in film but they pan the camera up as they're struggling for the gun and then you hear a shot oh my god who's dead it's peach um so that but somehow he was able to make that gunshot look like a suicide wound which seemed like a bit of a plot gap to me if they're struggling for the gun the book he drowns her yeah um and fills her pockets with rocks and then say says that she walked into the sea yeah they find her they find her body a lot later in the novel as well like beck that's what sparks them getting together i think in the book And, and then they have just eight days where they're like together right and in the TV show, she writes about Peach's death and that gets her some notoriety as a writer, which she never achieves in the novel as well. You know, so I think there was a lot of different reasons they made Peach's death like that in the book, even though there was a little bit of a plot gap. I thought it was really interesting how Beck's death wasn't even a thing at all. Like, he sort of grabs her and pulls her back when she's trying to get to the top of the stairs. She sees Paco, and she's like, he's gonna kill me, Paco! And Paco walks away, which, like, that was the most disturbing part of the TV series for me, is that this little kid is like watched two people die and will be quiet about it forever but yet he like smiles at joe and gives him a hug goodbye and is like thanks joe and still like that for me was the most disturbing thing i'm like what's gonna happen to paco maybe he'll come back in season two as like a little (laughs) like a psychopath but um but yeah then beck when she when she dies um on tv we see nothing she's just like dead I mean, that's probably appropriate. I Mm -hmm. I don't know how apt I would be to click play on another episode 
of Netflix if I watched him strangling her to death. Push a woman under the water, or yeah, strangling her naked in a glass cage of books, which is, I think, what happens in the novel. He strangles her upstairs because she makes it to the front door, and then they have this whole (laughs) encounter, but then she says, I'll skip town. Yeah. And he's like, no, you can never leave me, and he, like, strangles her and watches her die. And frankly, I mean, it's so different when you read something and picture it in your head versus watch it on TV, and I don't think that this TV show earned that kind of graphic violence to show. Like, it just... I... Do not think that that would have been in good taste. Yeah, I agree. I think that those changes, and it, I think that them showing Benji dying, it didn't feel disturbing. No, it was fine. Or, yeah, yeah. So I think I agree that those changes were absolutely necessary. Yeah, no, that was good. Um, but yeah, I think the the whole like pan panning up away from the gunshot was pretty cheesy. But but the off screen deaths, I completely agree. And we already talked a little about a little bit about the like violence of language in the book mm. as compared to the the TV series. So, what about the ending? I loved the ending in the TV series. Um, actually, it hooked me more to come back in for the next series, which has been announced and renewed. Yay, yay, yay. Yeah, they're already filming it. Thank I God. I love this. Um, <laughs> then I did the book. And I like the ending of the book, too, but it just, there was a more of a sense of finality. And I really liked, like, the, even though it's the cheesiest thing of all time, the poeticism of uh, Beck's book being sold posthumously, like telling the story basically of how she died, but pinning it on the therapist instead of yeah. Joe. Like, I thought that was just really fun. What did you think? Yeah, I think that was a nice, a little bit of an ending because it's there's so many stories in real life that we hear about women dying tragic deaths at the hands of someone they know and like being a page on a newspaper and that's it mm-hmm. which is what happens in the book basically right and so I did like that change that they added where Beck is because so much of the TV show is too is hinged on like her writing and her lack of confidence in her writing and her sort of seeing that really she was capable and now she has this testament to her life so that kind of dulled the dulled the blow of her death. But it's also tragic, right? Because yeah. what ultimately gets published yeah. is the story that she writes to show Joe, you can let me live. I'll pin this all on my therapist. I won't pin mm-hmm. it on you. We can pin the other murders on him. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's obviously false. And it was this yeah. writing that came out of a deep sense of desperation to try to save her life. So it's kind of like beautiful and evil that Joe published it after her death I just think I mean yeah it's cheesy that's so fun that's really fun (laughs) yeah no I I did I did like that I I did like that change as well I yeah the whole thing with Candace I mean I thought in the book I felt like it was a really important part of Joe's character that he had murdered Candace and that was I think the first murder he committed I believe in the novel it wasn't clear she wasn't actually cheating on him in the novel right she was he was just like super controlling and psychotic and murdered her out of rage so whereas in the you know in the tv show we're like what is candace doing here and why is she alive and why does joe think that she's not alive because she's like oh my god i'm alive and he seems so shocked by it so there it was a good cliffhanger for sure and also spoiler for the sequel i think this sets up a season two so much better like that is a progression of things that oh his first love is really alive so it kind Mm -hmm. of makes sense why he would move on from Beck so quickly and find another woman to obsess over when the book sequel he just like finds a new chick he's like forget Candace forget Beck I'm on to the next one Um, so it just feels like it could be like an endless cycle which is kind of less exciting than it escalating to being Candace who is somebody with significance in his life being his first love i imagine that's where season two will go is him reeling candace back in well i know for sure it is set in la like the second book okay that's the only thing i know for sure i assume it does have something to do with candace (laughs) (laughs) but um that would be very strange if it didn't yeah but uh yeah i and i 
I was curious because he showed social media images of Candace, like, in Italy. And uh, at first I thought there was going to be some big reveal as to how he, like, photoshopped them. But I agree. I think that Candace actually being alive is more interesting. Because as the viewer, you really are led to believe that she's dead. Yeah. Um, it was a fun, oh shit moment, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For, for both viewers and... Um, Joe. readers yeah, yeah. yeah and joe yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to some questions that we've brought up to each other and some of the themes that we noticed in both the tv series and the book so i really love this question you asked laura do you find anything redeemable charming or sexy about joe <sighs> I don't like to call things guilty pleasures. Like, if it's a trash, I watch Big Brother. And it's not a guilty pleasure. I just like it. But this book did feel like a guilty pleasure to me. Not because it was not of high quality, but it was because, oh my gosh, uh, this guy stalking this girl. I know intellectually that this is so unhealthy and gross, but like... It's a little hot, <laughs> you know, like it yeah. worked a little for me. Like, I think it's just so um, well written. And I think all of us like down in our animal brains are like, yes, somebody worship me and be obsessed with me. Like yeah. that really appeals to us at our deepest core. And also, of course, it's like that edge of danger or whatever. Mm -hmm. This danger obviously is taking it too far. Nobody wants to date a murderer for real. But in the <laughs> book, yeah, I do think it comes off a little bit like a little charming and sexy. And that's why it's so great that we have those scenes in there that really show how disgusting he is. There yeah, are the how graphic psychopathic, he is. psychopathic. There are the graphic murderers um in the tv show he keeps a used tampon in his box yeah in both the book that's what she, that's what she yeah. finds in the novel yeah and i love that i love that they showed that in the tv show know, she that was, like, was wild and the teeth oh and that was great. i mean there's nothing sexy about that like maybe <laughs> you want somebody to worship you enough to read all your social media posts and even like watch you from the window from across your street but like nobody wants you digging through your bathroom trash like that yeah. is gross so i think this book does a great job of kind of like winding you up and then it's sending you crashing down and kind of saying like no this is not what you want <laughs> yeah there's a great quote from caroline kepnes where she's talking about joe and she says joe is in so many ways the man of my dreams attentive and smart <laughs> sensitive passionate about books people i guess it was a kind of masochistic imaginative endeavor build this ideal man and curse him with a fatal flaw the man of your dreams kills you <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm so glad she said that that yeah. he, there's meant to be something because yeah. i think you do feel like a little bit of a sicko reading this book i don't know if you had that experience yeah well i think like you said and i think the tv show really captured this well that especially in the first episode he's looking at this persona she's carved into her social media and he's saying but Beck I see you I see you past this fakeness I love you for who you are deep mm. down both like everything about you I love everything both your flaws and you know and I think like deep down we do crave that both men and women we crave someone who wants to love us no matter what yeah but the reality is then they're more likely to be a controlling psychopath if they're like undying in their love for you. But um, but I think what I liked about Joe is that he is, he is a romantic. He, um, like you were talking about all those qualities in the beginning of our discussion, and there's this quote where he says, the world fell out of love with love at some point. So he's just <laughs> this guy who's trying to bring love back. And and I loved his disdain for like the intellectual elite and the New York elite that he shows in the book. I think I'm sure that was a, uh, you know, a point of sympathy for a lot of readers. It was for me where he says, yeah, I don't have a Yale degree, but my bullshit detector is excellent. So, I mean, he sees, he cares about, like, the reality. He, he hates all the networking. He hates all the ass-kissing and the bullshitting. So I feel like that was another point of connection for maybe some readers um, where he's, because right now in our, with 
what social media has done to our generation and our society. We are just around all of this illusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's probably refreshing. It was refreshing for me to see a character, albeit a crazy one, who doesn't care about that and just wants to, like, love Beck for her. Well, but of course, the in the book, the Beck that he loves is still like an image that he has created, a fantasy. But um, but yeah, I can absolutely see why he is a likable, likable, but a little bit of there's something alluring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about social media, and obviously, this is a novel that is totally entrenched in the time in which we live. And I think Laura, you made a great point that this is a really millennial story yeah I think the tv show in particular does a really great job of capturing this like the 20 somethings in New York have conversations and dinners that it feels like 20 somethings would really have like they're talking about whatever being on Raya or Hinge and um they're out at extravagant bars like you know they can't buy a home or have a mortgage but they're spending $16 on cocktails Mm -hmm. and there's so much of Beck that is creating a persona via social media and via her writing. Um, She's also has big dreams, but isn't established in a particular career yet. Like she's not yet uh, pursuing her writing extremely like she hasn't had great success with it mm-hmm. um, and then I think like you were talking about earlier we've all had an experience with like micro stalking an ex or somebody that we've met or whomever a co-worker and then this is just that taken to its like logical conclusion and to mm-hmm. its extreme you know I know so many couples who have like share my location on with each other mm-hmm. on their iPhones and this just seems like kind of the next step Yeah, I mean, I loved this quote from the book as well, where Joe says, some people, it's like they care more about their status updates than their actual lives. And I feel like pretty much everyone can relate to that. I mean, we get so caught up in, if we don't post it, then it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I feel that pressure as a traveler. Like, I've had so many incredible experiences, but... I feel like if I'm not putting some of those experiences out into the world through a filter or through like a humble brag even, (laughs) I'm sure I've done that, Um, then it's like, well, what are you doing even? Like, what what are you even doing while you're traveling? Yeah, (laughs) I don't know, know. living, existing. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, But I think that, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's kind of like we put so much of our private lives into this public format. And it's so curated, I think. And the show shows a really good job of, you know, Beck will be at home restless, not writing, and she'll make a status update about how deep she is in her novel and making great progress. Just little things like that. Um, And then how we compare ourselves to these curated versions of people's lives. Yeah. And um, I really loved in the show, I think I agree, like I think the show did an incredible job of capturing this as well. And I loved how they added the body positive Instagrammer. Oh yeah. Who is like incredibly shallow. I thought that was so great. (gasps) Yeah. I I thought that was a really nice addition. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just loved those little details to that. So my one of my questions was, I'm curious as to what insight this novel left with you, if any. Like, is this just a fun, fanciful romp, or is there a kind of deeper message here with either the novel or the show? Um, to me, it's a satire. I think it's a satire of idealism and relationships. Just how Caroline Kepnes said that we all want this person who's hopelessly devoted to us, who seeks us out and thinks that we are their one and only. Um, And this really shows exactly what that is. Do I think that I have any real lessons from this that stick with me? Did it impact me? Like, say, reading An American Marriage that we read earlier this year did? No, but it was a whole lot more fun than reading (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was really... What struggling with this question because this book stuck with me. It really Same. did, and I was like wondering why did this book like infiltrate me so deeply? I mean, I do think Carolyn Kepnes is a great writer too. Like she's, 
I think it's not quite as like lyrical or beautiful or sensual as some of the prose that we've read over this past year, but her plot is great, her suspense, her tone, her consistency, and I, I there were a few like key phrases and observations that like have absolutely were on point and well written. In terms of like a greater message, I I just I don't I'm sure this was done through like the satire of how Joe was able to infiltrate Beck's life, um, but I, to me I kind of read this as a message of be who you are and don't be so obsessed with curating this image of who you think people should how you think people should see you. But maybe I was reading too much into it too. <laughs> but I, I thought that's why Joe's character was refreshing to me in some ways because it's on the other side, if he wasn't such an interesting character, he would be that asshole in the corner who's like, I use typewriters and I'm not on social media because it's destroying the fabric of our society, which I have a typewriter. <laughs> I also acknowledge like the reality of the world in which we live. So... I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't really necessarily like a warning kind of literature, but yeah, I, I agree. It was kind of like, be careful what you wish for. Do you really want someone to be so obsessed with you? And do you really want this like image of what you present to the world to be a gateway for people to manipulate and control you? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so, okay, so we've talked a lot about the things that we love about the book, how it's really fun, the atmosphere, Joe's inner thoughts and characters was so well-developed, um, the suspense. Yeah, I mean, I really, really, really enjoyed her writing as well. What were some of the things you wished you could change or that didn't work as well for you in the book or the TV show? I struggle with the book to really have any major criticisms of it. Yeah, the writing isn't lyrical. It doesn't move you through. I read that Caroline Kepnes was a former editor at Tiger Beat and at Entertainment Weekly. And I do think that there's like a tabloidy feel to reading the book. It's almost like, oh man, I shouldn't really want to know about like the messy <laughs> details of this couple's divorce, but I sure do. <laughs> and she kind of expertly pulls you into the story that feels so sordid and so like titillating is the only word I can describe to it, but it's yeah. just... I think it was well executed and exactly what it should be. I mean, I struggle to find too many bad things to say about it. The TV show, I think it could have been eight episodes and been more successful, but I still liked it. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree. The things that they changed and morphed to fit the TV show just were the, the parts that landed a little bit more flat for me. But I, I agree. I mean, I really liked Caroline Kepnes's writing. I think one of the things that I don't love about literature in the literary sphere is the kind of condescension and pretension that comes with some like really great writers. Yep. And I think that she's a really wonderful writer in a really unique way. There's a couple of quotes I pulled. You are a woman and I am a man and we belong in the dark together. Like that is just so, such a great embodiment of Joe's character and it also is really exciting and, and sensual and as a reader you're like, this is wrong, but I also like, wow, it's really intense. And no, she deserves a shout out for the names for these characters oh, yeah. too. Peach yeah. Salinger, Guinevere Beck. Like, that is so spot on and good. Like, you know exactly who those girls are from hearing their names. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Oh, and I... Okay, one thing that I love slash hated about the TV series was casting Joe... John Stamos? Yeah. Uh, John Stamos is the therapist. Because <laughs> he didn't really do much. Like, he wasn't... I really like John Stamos. I think he just, like, appears in these things and... I thought he was so great, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's just like he wasn't utilized, like his character didn't have a lot to work with. Yeah. He didn't really have a lot of scenes, but yeah, I mean, I thought that was a I thought great it was fun call. to see him. Yeah. I liked his beard. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great addition to it, like a therapist <laughs> kind of persona. And Shay Mitchell, who plays Peach, oh, is yeah. so great Yeah, in she it. didn't. 
She's job. so good. She was the weakest link on Pretty Little Liars, which I watched all seven seasons of. Um, and I was really happy to see her redeem herself here. Like, it was just a pitch-perfect role for her. She played bitchy, cold, snobby so well, but you still felt for her. I was really impressed. Yeah. Did you buy her obsession with Beck, though? No. Yeah, I think that was the only part that... <laughs> I, I agree. I think she did an amazing job, but the I really... And, and probably, you know, it could be in part to like the the script pieces, like how they, the only time we see her like obsessive over Beck in a sexualized way is when she's, really drunk. she's, yeah, or not even really then. I mean, there was that one time she tries to kiss her, but even that felt kind of forced and yeah. stupid. And the pictures that he finds on the computer, but they didn't really give her lots of opportunity or chance to really be obviously in love with Beck. Um, Agreed. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I think the casting they did for the TV show was really, really good overall. Yeah, Penn Badgley may be a little bit too classic Hollywood good looking for yeah. the role. But I enjoyed it. I mean, I will watch as many episodes of this thing as they pump out. (laughs) Yeah, I think his strongest points were when we see him really break down. Like when he's in the glass cage and kind of crying and feels betrayed by Beck. That's, the, I guess, the strongest one that comes to mind. But And when he's losing it in the woods, trying to bury Benji. Oh, yeah. And um, when he's, like, half-conscious in the house and seeing his ex-girlfriend. I thought those were his strongest scenes. But, like, as a kind of, like, stalker persona, like, I didn't see... I didn't think there was enough of a contrast between him being, like the creepy stalker version of himself and him being Beck's boyfriend. I agree. It was like, you are so hot and self-possessed and confident, even just the way you're holding yourself when you On walk. the street, yeah. I don't buy Even you. like jerking off in the <laughs> stoop <Stop>. shadows. <laughs> I don't buy you as a creepy stalker who can only talk to women if they are arranging these perfect scenarios. Yeah, yeah. So I, I hope we get to see more of him being like really raw and creepy well we'll see season two I think yeah I agree it was still fun and his narration his voiceover narration is always good so I mean good. yeah really good um great so it's safe to say that if you haven't watched the series even if we did spoil it a little bit for you there absolutely read this book oh my watch God. this tv show I okay what was better for you book or show book easy yeah me too okay I read the book twice in the past year, and it held my attention both times. Like, I had so much fun with it both times. There wasn't any point where I was like, oh, I hope I want to get to the next part or chapter. Like, it's consistently super good the whole way through. Yeah, it's enthralling. Absolutely. And um, the show was great, but there was a little too much fluff and kitsch for me to hold my attention. Like, I absolutely was, like, doing other things on my laptop while I was watching it at certain points because I was like, okay, get to the next episode. I can't believe there's 10 of these. (laughs) But it was still really fun, and I am really glad I watched it. Yep. In terms of the book, what other books do you recommend for people who liked you? Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll has a similar tone to this book where there's a lot of really dark stuff happening, but it's still written with a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. And uh, I was reading an interview with Caroline Kepnes where she cites uh, a different book by Jessica Knoll, The Favorite Sister, as one that has been a favorite of hers that she was just like screenshotting all these paragraphs and saying that they were perfectly done. I thought you didn't like that book. It was not my favorite. I will say that. Um, Was it your sister's favorite? (laughs) Okay, sorry. Laura doesn't have a sister. I just had to say that because I'm lame. Oh my God. The sequel to You, Hidden Bodies, also obviously by Caroline Kepnes is... Like, if you think you is crazy, Hidden Bodies goes off the damn rails. It turns up the drama to 15. It is, like, nuts. The number of murders per minute in that book is nuts. Like, I cannot wait to reread it and see what they do in adapting it for TV. That's fantastic. Wow, I, I'll check that one out. So I, this is not an original recommendation. Tons of people compare this novel to Lolita. Yeah. Um, but I loved that book and I think 
what I love about it is that you are in the mind of a pedophile and yet you find yourself sympathizing with him in many ways because of the language and the lyricism and the beauty of his writing and imagery. And the same thing with you. You find yourself sympathizing with Joe even though he's like a fucking stalker yeah. psychopath. So I, I mean... I thought it's, I think Lolita is a lot more like beautiful and, and miracle to read, but uh, like there, I just had to pull a quote. It was love at first sight, at last sight, at ever and ever sight. <laughs> I mean, if you were to read that as a standalone, you could put that on like a Valentine's Day card, but he's talking about like a child right. who he's in love yes. with. So it's like, so the subject matter is so creepy. Yeah. Don't engrave that on your wedding ring just yet. <laughs> Um, and then Tampa is another book I would absolutely recommend. I know, Laura, you couldn't get through it because it's so messed up. But it's one of, it's I think it's similar in terms of like it's a really disturbed fascination That's novel. Sure. Like it's it's entertaining in a way because it's like how much more disturbed can this subject matter get? And it's completely from the perspective of a pedophile, a female pedophile who is a teacher. Um, who starts a romantic relationship with her students. So, um, yeah, it was pretty graphic and disturbing, but, um, but I mean, it was... I, it's yeah, like one I of those... It's not necessarily even a guilty pleasure because it wasn't necessarily pleasurable. It was just like I had to read what happened next. Yeah, I don't find myself to be prudish with books, and I made it about a third of the way through that sucker and said, no more! Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> But I'm willing to give it another shot. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us for this latest fun episode of Forget the Wine. Thanks, guys! Happy reading. Thank you.